Welcome back to Telegnosis and Tea, or welcome to Telegnosis and Tea if this is your first episode that you're listening to. I'm your host, Tess. I'm definitely not an alien researching Earth, and today I am drinking a lovely maple tea. I wasn't sure what to drink today because, like, I already did pumpkin spice, and I think I've already done maple tea because I think I did that during the Mad Trapper of Rat River episode because it was Canadian and maple tea is very Canadian. Oh, I might have drank ice wine tea then, actually. Doesn't matter. I'm drinking maple tea today because maple for autumn. And today we're looking at a random history of Halloween. Uh, But first I have some updates. So if you are new, then you could probably like skip forward a little bit because you're probably just here for like the meat and potatoes, which is the history of Halloween. But if you're interested, here is a little bit of an introduction. Oh yeah, I'm Some people give, like, an introduction to their podcast. This is a podcast on everything creepy, weird, and unusual in this world. That's about it. We just look at weird stuff. Okay, anyway. First of all, I filmed the first video to go onto Ko-fi, which I finally know how to pronounce. K-O-F-I. It is Ko-fi. So if you donate, if you donate once or if you donate monthly, you can watch videos and see content. That is just for donators, which is a lot of fun. So the first video that we did was we went rantonauting for the first time ever. And you gotta watch the video to see what kind of weird stuff we found. (laughs) It's not up yet, by the way. I haven't actually edited it. But it will be up there and you will be able to watch it if you donate on Ko-fi. Also, I actually have the website up and running. So guess what? Telegnosisandtea.com. You can go, you can, there's a little donate tab there to take you straight to Ko-fi. There's also like a page for submissions if you want to send in some of your listener stories, which I'm so jazzed to read. So if you have anything like creepy, unusual, supernatural, true crime related stories, or anything just like weird, like send it in. I want to read it. I am going to possibly put it in a future listeners episode. You, There's a little checkmark box. You can say like, yes, I want this in a future listeners episode. No, I don't. And yeah, send it in that way. Or you could just send them straight to telegnosisandtea at gmail.com. This wasn't even written in. This was just me going off on a tangent. Okay, so some people are wondering about the ghost cat. I have a ghost cat update. Um, we've decided, I'm not sure if I said this in a past episode, but we've decided that the ghost cat's name is Felix the cat, because he has black and white, and he has been chilling hardcore in the house. So my cat, Hetty, likes to play with the ghost cat, and they chase each other up and down the hallway, which I'm not crazy, like, I'm not the only one who has seen it. (laughs) Matt has also seen it. My parents have also seen it. So yeah, the ghost cat is definitely here. Um, so he- He is also scared Hetty. We were just sitting in the living room one day and Hetty was on the back of the couch and then the ghost cat just popped out of nowhere and I think, because I assume that's what it was, and then Hetty like got scared. But they seem to just kind of chill together, like chase each other around. So yeah, that's our update on the ghost cat. He is welcome here. I mean, he's been around for a couple years now, I guess. So if you're a new listener and you're like, what are you talking about? Yeah, my house is just haunted by a ghost cat, but that's okay because like, He's chill. He's never done anything bad, so he's allowed to stick around. Okay, this- I'm actually- I swear I'm actually getting into the episode. 
now. I know that was kind of like a longer introduction than I usually do, but I had a lot of stuff to like get out there. So this episode is a random background into Halloween, a random history of Halloween. This episode started out as being like cool Halloween rituals and then every ritual or like tradition that I found I had to dive down a rabbit hole and it was connected to other stuff and then eventually this just ended up being its own Halloween history. So that's what today's podcast is going to be on, the history of Halloween and Halloween traditions. And before we begin, <laughs> thank you for patiently pointing out that I have been saying Samhain wrong. It's actually Samhain and not Samhain. So I corrected that now. I know that now. All future episodes, I'm going to say Samhain. I promise. Fingers crossed. I promise. <laughs> okay, on that note, I think that's actually the end of my introduction now. So let's get into the history of Halloween. So this episode's going to be broken down a little weirdly. I wasn't sure how to do the episode chronologically and also break down how each tradition really happened. So I'm going to give kind of an overview of, in general, like how Samhain began, or well not how Samhain began, but kind of how Samhain was the beginning of Halloween, and then a little bit about stuff that is specific to Samhain, and then I'm going to go more into the history, and then go... I'm gonna try and make it make the most sense that I can, uh, but no promises. So that brings me to the beginning of the history of Halloween. Halloween has its roots in Samhain, a lot of rituals happened during the time of Samhain, and these rituals are credited as being the main origin of what has come together to be Halloween. The ancient Celtic people had Samhain that lasted from sunset on October 31st to sunset on November 1st, which represented the end of the agricultural cycle and the beginning of the winter, or the dark half of the year. Samhain in Gaelic actually means summer's end. It was also the last day of the Celtic year. November 1st was New Year's Day, and Samhain, or October 31st, was New Year's Eve, essentially. It was also the night when all the souls that had died over the previous year could cross over to the other side. This belief was that the veils between our world and the spirit world, supernatural world, were the thinnest on October 31st night. It was also the night that was best for fortune-telling, as ancestors would have the easiest time during this night when the veils are thinned or lifted to give advice and tidbits about the future. There is evidence that Samhain has been around and been important since ancient times, as there's connections to it in Neolithic passage tombs in Ireland, also in some of the earliest Irish literature from the 10th century onward, and many important events in Irish mythology occurred on or around Samhain. Okay, I just threw this in because I wasn't quite sure where to put it, but horse racing was a popular part of ancient Samhain festivities, as was having feasts, drinking alcohol, playing games, and having other contests. Samhain was also the time to take inventory. Livestock was taken from summer pastures and brought down to winter pastures, and a stock count of the livestock and food was taken to ensure that the Celts could make it through the winter time. So I'm going to give so much more information on Samhain. It is it was a huge festival. It was one of the four big festivals for the Celts, if not possibly the largest festival. And one of the very important features of Samhain was bonfires. Bonfires were a way to ward off evil spirits, and the Celts lit huge bonfires, community bonfires, that were said to have protective and cleansing powers. They were supposed to mimic the powers and the growth that the sun provides, 
as well as a way to symbolically, quote, burn up and destroy all harmful influences. These giant bonfires were also a light to help light the way for souls that were seeking the afterlife. Because these bonfires were so big, bats were often attracted to them since insects were drawn to them. Soon, bats became associated and a welcome part of Samhain, which makes sense since they kept all the insects away from the festivities. I would totally want the bats there too, just like mosquitoes are never a fun part of... Mosquitoes and flies are never a fun part of celebrations. This is how bats became a big part of Halloween, and this belief also came with a number of superstitions since bats in medieval time were thought of as being the harbingers of death. In Moray, an area of Scotland, they had awesome bonfire traditions. Boys would go through the village asking for bonfire fuel from each household and build a huge bonfire. The boys then laid down one by one as close as they could get to the fire without being burned. They believed this would have cleansing powers when the smoke flowed over them. Other people would also run through the smoke and jump over the boys. In some areas, two large bonfires were made close together and people, sometimes bringing their livestock, would walk between the two as a cleansing ritual. In Scotland, there was a tradition of taking home some of the community bonfire to light the household hearth. It was a way to further community connection. It's possible that dousing the old fire in the household hearth and lighting the new with the community bonfire could be a way of banishing evil and bringing in the new year. Okay, the next point I have here literally just says new year, new me, because that is what Samhain uh, was about. You were supposed to let go of all the old stuff from the past year and have a clean slate for going into the new year. This was the optimal time for settling debts, and settling debts was actually celebrated too. It would make going into the new year with a clean slate a lot better. This was also the time to get rid of all things that aren't needed anymore, which is emotional, spiritual, and physical. Clean out your household, clean out your mind, clean out everything. So ghosts. I've already kind of mentioned that there was a connection between the supernatural world and our world on the night of Samhain. So how does that transfer to why we see ghosts on Halloween? Why is it so spooky and where did it come from? So like I said, the ancient Celts believed that the lines were blurred, allowing spirits to walk back and forth between the earth and the supernatural world. Some of these spirits were troublemakers, thought to be evil spirits that would cause trouble and damage crops. It was thought that during Samhain, if offerings were not left for the spirits, people and livestock may not survive the winter. In Irish mythology, Samhain is described as being the time when the portals would open so all supernatural beings could travel between our world and theirs. So it wasn't just ancestral spirits that could pass through the worlds, other things could pass through as well, being, most, being the evil spirits that people would try and keep away. This is, of course, translated into our nowadays Halloween, since the belief that the veils are thinned around this time of year has always been in place. I mentioned this point just very briefly earlier, but Samhain was a great time for predicting the future and divination. The presence of otherworldly spirits meant that the Druids, or Celtic priests, could have an easier time predicting the future. These predictions were important for providing people with hope during the long, dark winter. But all the Celts would also try and tell each other's fortunes and make predictions themselves about the future. One tradition to tell the future involved all members of the community laying a stone around the community bonfire, possibly on ash from the fire. Everyone then ran around the fire before continuing with the festivities. The next morning, the stones were inspected, and if any were out of place, it was thought to mean that the individual that laid that stone would not live out the next year. Another way to predict the future 
And if you're interested in knowing if you and your loved one, or possibly the person you desire, meant to be together, it was taking two hazelnuts and roasting them near a fire. One hazelnut was for the person roasting, and one hazelnut was for the person that they desired. If the hazelnuts jumped away from the heat, this was not a good sign. But if they roasted quietly, then the two were supposed to be a good match. But if you're wondering, who do I desire or who should I desire? Well, you want to see your future spouse? Then eat a salty oatmeal bannock in three bites before bed without having anything to drink. The person that comes to quench your thirst in your dreams is said to be your future spouse. This can be done by both men and women. Actually, all of these all of these things that I have listed can be done by anybody, whoever wants to see your possible future spouse. So you saw your future spouse in your dreams, but how many children will you have? Well, grab an egg white and drop it into water. The shape that it takes will foretell the number of children that you will have. And these children can also get in on the divination action by chasing crows and divining the information from the number of birds that fly away. That's all the info I really got on that, so I guess if you want to know exactly what that means, you'll have to ask a child, because it, all the information just said that children would chase crows and then divine the information from that, but that was kind of it. <laughs> Which is cool. I mean, the children have their own thing going on. They know what it means when three crows fly away. Of course, famously, there were sacrifices at this time. Crops and animals and humans were sacrificed on bonfires. I'm leaving this, though, here for a future episode, wink wink, nudge nudge, where we will get more into sacrifice and sacrifices. Samhain continued on until the Roman Empire decided to conquer most of Celtic territory, and by 43 AD, they had successfully conquered most of the territory. Over the course of 400 years, the two Roman festivals, Fralia and Pomona were blended into the celebration of Samhain, as they were celebrated around the same time of year. Fralia is a day in October when Romans traditionally commemorated the passing of the dead. Sound familiar? And Pomona was a festival to honor Pomona. I think I, I think I had more written in here and I don't know what happened to it, but Pomona festival was to honor the goddess Pomona, who was the goddess of harvests and autumn, and who was symbolized by apples, which will come into play later. The celebrations were blended together eventually and became known as All Hallows or All Hallows Mass, hollow meaning to sanctify. The night before it, which was once Samhain in the Celtic religion, began to be called All Hallows Eve or Halloween. On May 13th, 609 AD, Pope Boniface IV, I think that's Hold on, I need to actually check what IV, 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 IV is for. Oh, I was right! Pope Boniface IV! Wow, I'm starting to actually know my Roman numerals! Dedicated the Pantheon in Rome in honor of all Christian martyrs, which established the Feast of All Martyrs Day in the Western Church. Pope Gregory III later expanded the festival to include all saints as well as martyrs and moved the feast day from May 13th to November 1st. By the 9th century, Christianity had spread to Celtic lands where it gradually blended into Celtic rites and supplemented older Celtic traditions, notably Samhain. In 1000 AD, the Christian church made November 2nd All Souls Day, a day to honor the dead. It's believed today that this might have been an attempt by the church to replace the Celtic festival of Samhain with a related church-sanctioned holiday. 
All Souls Day was also celebrated similarly to Samhain with huge bonfires, costumes, though instead of scary things, they were costumes of saints, angels, and devils, parades, games, and those kind of fun things. How did we get Halloween in North America the way it is now, though? Well, the very beginning of Halloween traditions in North America were very limited in places like New England because of rigid Protestant beliefs. But Halloween traditions, as are similar to now, were very common in places like Maryland and South Colonies. As different cultures, European ethnic groups, and American natives, traditions meshed, a distinctly American version of Halloween was born. The first celebrations included play parties, which celebrated the harvest and death. People would tell the stories of the dead, tell fortunes, play games, sing, and dance, which probably also sounds pretty familiar. There's also telling of ghost stories and mischief-making. By the mid-19th century, autumn festivals were common all over North America, but Halloween was not celebrated everywhere. It wasn't until the USA was flooded with new immigrants, including millions of Irish fleeing the Irish potato famine, that Halloween was popularized across America. In the 1800s, a movement emerged for Americans to make Halloween a more family-friendly holiday, doing away with the ghost pranks and witchcraft. This made it so at the beginning of the 1900s, Halloween parties for adults and children were the most common way to celebrate, consisting of lots of games, fun costumes, and of course, lots of food and treats. It was during this time that North American newspapers and community leaders encouraged folks to take anything frightening or grotesque out of their Halloween celebrations, making Halloween lose a lot of its superstitious and religious overtones during the beginning of the 1900s as well. By the 1920s and 30s, Halloween became a secular but community-centered holiday. There was parades and parties, but despite best efforts, vandalism began to plague communities around Halloween. In an effort to decrease the vandalism, and I'm going to circle back to this soon, town leaders tried to focus Halloween on being a holiday directed to younger people, and by the 1950s, this had successfully limited the amount of vandalism. The 1950s, though, also brought the boom in baby boomers, meaning parties for children and young folk were often moved from town centers to classrooms or home, because there's just so many kids. So that is basically the background leading us into modern Halloween and what modern Halloween is now. So I'm going to go through some of the traditions, which will kind of go through all the different periods, because I wasn't quite sure how to fit these in around also telling how it kind of trickled down into the, like, from Samhain to the Halloween that we have now. So I thought maybe I'd just separate these out. So first is the tradition of trick-or-treating. Going back to the days of Samhain, an extra place setting was set at the table for food and wine and offered to deceased loved ones. In addition to this extra place setting, food was placed outside of the homes near the doorway, but this was for bothersome spirits, so they might not play a trick on the household and accept the food offering instead. Also, as a side note, one common issue apparently with these bothersome spirits is that they would tip over milk containers, so I fully understand why you would put out some food for them, because that just sounds annoying and messy to clean up. Also, I like that their ghosts or their like bothersome spirits are not necessarily evil evil, they're just like tipping over milk containers and stuff, like purely being a nuisance, not really doing mean mean stuff. So during Samhain, mumming became a tradition. This was when folks would dress up and walk door to door in neighborhoods asking for food and pretending to be spirits. The American tradition of trick-or-treating likely connected more closely, though, to the days of All Souls Days parades in England. During the All Souls Days festivities, poor citizens would go door-to-door begging for food. Families began to give these folks soul cakes, which were pastries, 
In exchange, those who were going door-to-door begging would promise to pray for the family's dead relatives. Handing out soul cakes was encouraged by the church to replace the ancient practice from Samhain that was leaving the food and wine out for roaming spirits. The practice of going door-to-door for soul cakes became known as going a-souling. This was eventually taken up by children in Scotland who would visit houses in their neighborhood and were dubbed guising. The children dressed up and asked neighbors for ale, food, and money. And the first time I read that, I totally thought ginger ale, but no, these kids were asking for, like, ale, ale, in exchange for a song or a poem. During the 19th century, in parts of Southern Ireland, the Laerbun, I know I'm pronouncing this wrong, I apologize, made an appearance. This was a hobby horse. But in actuality, it was a man covered in a white sheet, carrying a decorated horse skull, leading a group of youths blowing on cow horns and going farm to farm reciting verses and expecting food, which if you did not give would mean that you would not have good luck in the following new year. I'm not going to dive too much more into this because the I hope the picture that I painted is as spectacular for you as it is for me. I didn't actually look at photographs of it before making this episode. I didn't want to spoil the the picture that I have in my mind. <laughs> so I'm just I'm just going to move on. In America, Americans borrowed from European traditions and began dressing up in costumes and going door to door asking for food or money, which is what became today's tradition of trick-or-treating. Between 1920 and 1950 in North America, trick-or-treating was revived as an inexpensive way for an entire community to share in the Halloween celebrations. The theory was families could prevent nasty tricks being played on their household by providing children with small treats. This was especially necessary during the Great Depression, when vandalism and pranks went out of control. It was not until the 1950s, though, that kids would trick-or-treat for candy, since there was a sugar rationing during World War II. But in the 1950s, candy companies, of course, began to realize that there was money to be made off of small, affordable candies, and this led to the rise of store-bought candy, especially during the 1970s and 80s, moving away from homemade candies. This was the time when the scare of Halloween sadism was in full effect. And if you're listening and going, Halloween sadism? What is that? You need to listen to my episode on it. It is not what you think. It is actually the act of tainting children's Halloween candy. Go back to my episode from two weeks ago. It's entertaining, I promise. (laughs) So why do we wear costumes? Dressing in costumes has European and Celtic roots. During the celebration of Samhain, Celts wore costumes usually consisting of animal heads and skins, but also sailcloth or linen and made into scary masks and costumes. They were worn by folks to try and fool troublesome spirits into thinking they were one of them. While wearing these costumes, it was common to go outside and make all the loud noise you could to scare away evil spirits. Which 10 out of 10 will absolutely be doing this year. Sorry in advance to everyone in my neighborhood. (laughs) Okay, this tradition I thought was just a small tradition, like a game, but it actually has so, such deep roots in Samhain and Halloween. And that is bobbing for apples, also known as snap apple. Bobbing for apples has its origins in the Roman festival honoring Pomona, the goddess of agriculture and abundance that I mentioned earlier, who's represented by apples. There's all different variations, but the tradition of bobbing for apples got blended with Samhain since Samhain and Pomona festivals were around the same time, as I mentioned earlier. The Pomona infusion with Samhain likely caused apples to become more prominent in Halloween. At the Pomona Festival, bobbing for apples was similar to now, but they held the belief that the first person to sink his or her teeth into the apple would be the first to get married in the new year, keeping in mind this was New Year's Eve for them. In England, Wales, and Ireland, 
because everything was obviously more metal in the 14th century, the original game of Snapapple before it evolved to bobbing for apples was way more risky. And I'm gonna post a picture of a painting of this on uh, Instagram, but Snapapple was done like this and I don't recommend trying this at home. A wooden plank was hung from the ceiling and spun in circles. On one end of the plank, an apple. On the other end, a lit candle. You were not allowed to use your arms or anything else to help as you tried to bite the apple. The entire time, you were risking getting hit in the face with a burning candle. This was a beloved game despite the risks, and October 31st in England was sometimes called Snapapple Night, and in Wales called Snotching Night in reference to snotching the apples from the beam. Over time, though, the game evolved to have less melted wax. Some variations included having an apple on a string tied to the ceiling that people used to have to try and bite. In all cases, the person who managed to bite the apple first was the first to walk down the aisle and get married in the new year. <laughs> I have another bullet point that just says other apple things. Apples are super tied into Halloween and Samhain. So another apple thing. Apple peels held the secret to true love. During Samhain, it was believed if you peeled an apple in one long unbroken piece and threw that peel over your shoulder while being spun around, the shape of the peel when it landed on the ground would be the first initial of your true love. If any of you try this, please let me know how it works for you. Why are haunted houses associated with Halloween? This is just another side point because this I found interesting. Haunted houses were originally popularized by Madame Tussauds' Chamber of Horrors in London. In North America, the Great Depression of 1930, causing mischief as I mentioned before, made some people get creative with their efforts to keep potential mischief makers busy. People began to make haunted house-like scenes in their basement. And in 1969, when Disneyland opened the famous Haunted Mansion, it was revealed the true money-making power of haunted houses. Haunted houses became a favorite thing for those hoping to get spooked around Halloween and has turned into a $300 million industry in the United States alone. So I already mentioned a little bit about apples, but I didn't mention candy apples, which are also a big part of Halloween. The tradition of candy apples actually also has its origins in the Roman festival of Pomona. As the apple represented not just the harvest, but the goddess herself, the apples were covered in a sugar syrup as a way to preserve them and keep them throughout the long winter. This was a delicious treat, and it was a hit with the ancient Celts as well. Today's version of the candy apple or toffee apple, though, is more likely connected to confectioner William Cole, who in 1908 was making a display for his red cinnamon candy. He thought it would look attractive to have apples dipped in the bright red candy, but it turned out that the apples dipped in the candy was a delicious hit. Originally, he decided to market them for Christmas, but the popularity of apples during the harvest season made candy apples a staple of many people's Halloween traditions. So that is a very random history of Halloween. Just a couple of random fun facts I came across while I was researching this episode. One quarter of all candy sold in the USA is purchased for Halloween. Also, 20% of millennials in 2018 bought costumes for their pets. Hashtag guilty. And last, Americans spend about $6 billion annually on Halloween, making it the country's second largest commercial holiday after Christmas. If you're interested in seeing pictures from this episode then follow me on Twitter, at TelegnosisPod, or on Instagram, at TelegnosisNT. And now, you can also visit my website! It's TelegnosisNT.com, and I'm so pumped! So excited! And like I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, if you have an interesting story that you want me to hear, send it to me! 
and it'll possibly end up on a future listeners episode. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have an amazing Halloween, but I will check in with you soon. Have a great week, everybody. Bye!